And uh, he, he winds up going for supper with Lazarus. This is before he's making his way into Jerusalem. Okay? This is an old picture of Jerusalem from the early 1900s. Like today, most of this valley you see in front of you is just like a lot of housing. So that's probably the earliest picture you can get of it. Just so you can kind of see where Jesus walked. And Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. And we know that it's his final week, so he's going there to die eventually. He makes his way. We're standing where this photograph is taken, somewhere in the region of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus comes from Bethphage, and he moves down this valley called the Kidron Valley, which is also called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Heard of that? So it's kind of makes Psalm 23 quite interesting. And then he moves up there and into this gate, which leads straight into the temple. That sort of dome there, you can see the big dome, which is today the Dome of the Rock. The Muslims are there now. Was in those days the big... Jewish temple in Jerusalem. So he makes his way down here. They get this donkey somewhere on this hillside. He walks down this valley, up the other side, and into Jerusalem. And as he's walking into Jerusalem, there are crowds of people who have lined the road because they've heard he's coming, quite a celeb, shouting this word, Hosanna. And you can... Uh, sweet pick. Um, old Dick, old school. Um, and as he's walking in, the, the, the crowds are throwing down palm leaves, and they're throwing down cloaks. So not even Jesus' donkey gets his feet wet in puddles. Because that's how much honor they want to give Jesus. And they shout this word over again. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, we often throw the word Hosanna around like it means praise God. you know, Which we've kind of sort of assimilated it now. And that's what we've made it mean. We use it sort of in that context. But the word Hosanna has a very specific meaning. It means save. Or, or save now with an exclamation mark. Because it's like... It's an imperative in its original language. So it's got some urgency to save now. Now when we hear this word save, like we check on bumper stickers, we think, well, that's that thing we do when we sit with people and we pray that they know Jesus and wouldn't go to hell. Now, because he died on the cross. Let me ask you this question. Do you think any of the people lining the road on that day, any of the people who were shouting that word save now, thought that when they shouted that word? No? Yes? No, because they didn't even think that Jesus was going to die. In fact, even when he talks to his disciples, Jesus said, I'm on my way to Jerusalem to die. His disciples are telling him, no, you're not. No, no, I am. No, you're not. No, you can't die. No, no I am. Uh, that's, that's my plan and that's my mission. Might get a little bit. And, and he's got this idea that he's going to do this, but the people don't think he's going to do this. So what you've got to ask yourself is, when Jesus is walking into Jerusalem and the crowds are shouting Hosanna, what did they mean? What were they after? These people who are lying in the streets are Jews. That's who they are. There's no Christians. Think about it. Maybe the disciples that have pushed, but they would never have called themselves that. The Jews were the people. They were the people who follow the one true God. And they were the people lining the streets that day, shouting this word. Now, they come and they set themselves up in this nation. Uh, you, you know the story. They left Egypt with Moses, went through the desert for 40 years. And then they come in with Joshua into this promised land. And they conquer the whole land and set themselves up. And they're there. I mean, they've made it. They've done it. They, they haven't quite done it the way God said, but they're at least there. And, it, and it's their nation. And they are now the nation of Israel. God's people. So they start to set up cities and they start to set things in place. They have a, a series of rulers called the judges for a while. They don't like that. They want kings like the other nations, so they get a bunch of kings. In. And for, for a brief time, and it is quite a brief time, a few hundred years, things seem to be going relatively well. And then stuff just starts to slide. Because God's told them, like, if you want to be my people, you worship only me. 
you, you, you're a people that's set apart and that's different and that looks different from the nations around you. So you're an example of what it's to be like to be in good relationship with me. But they don't. They have a bunch of bad kings that come through. But instead of drawing people to God, actually pull them away from God. And they start to sort of bring other stuff in. You know, whatever, it's not that important. So they have a bunch of bad kings. The priests who are in the temple, who are supposed to be the guys who are in charge of the worship and organizing everything in the temple, start to cut corners as well. God's given them this, this system which He wants them to follow. This is the way you worship me. And I want it to be this particular way because you're going to show me how much you love me if you do it this way. But they decide, eh, well, we need to cut some corners and try some other things and bring some other stuff in. And even the people who are supposed to be bringing their best stuff for God start to bring, well, you know, I've got this blind goat. I know I'm going to bring a goat, but, you know, I've got ten goats and, and, and Bob's blind, so Bob's going to get the chop. Let's take Bob. You know, and it's not their best stuff anymore. Crime was all of a sudden a problem. That the morality of the nation is going down. You read sort of this middle section in the Old Testament, and, and even some of the Psalms and some of the prophets are mad because the, the, they're not taking care of the poor and the widow and their midst like God told them to do. They're just sort of sweeping that stuff under the carpet, and things are not the way that they should be. Some of the people have even decided that God is all right to worship, but, but there's some folks like just over the valley, over the way, over the border who, who've got these other gods, and these other gods are pretty sweet. So let's. Keep worshipping God, but also worship some of these other gods who had some rather dodgy ideas as well. So things have started to slide. And God starts to send this group of people called the prophets, who one at a time come into Jerusalem and into all of Israel and meet with the leaders and the priests. And they say, guys, we're missing it. We're missing the point. Like, we're supposed to be this nation that's living right and set apart and all the rest of it. Like, like pull yourselves together or God is going to do something bad. But they don't listen. I mean, you don't want to hear that kind of thing, really, when you're in charge. So most of them got dropped down wells or heads chopped off or something pretty gross because you don't want to hear something negative. And they keep coming and they keep saying, and eventually the message starts to change suddenly. And it changes from, like, stop doing this stuff, all bad stuff's going to happen, to just bad stuff is coming. So it's too late. God is now mad. And these people have lost the plot. So one after one, these nations start to come through. Babylon comes through. The Assyrians come through, the Persians come through, the Greeks come through, and by the time of Jesus, the Romans have come through later. Just nation after nation walk through Israel, and they cart off people back into slavery, back into their own lands. They destroy their villages, destroy the towns and cities. Everything is a complete mess. Like, from this people who are supposed to be God's people, they're, they're God's nation, they're an example to the rest, they're a successful, prosperous, healthy nation who follow God, to just... Desolation, like your town and your village is broken, broken, and, and, and the people that you know are nowhere. Like most of them have been carted off into some foreign land and you don't know where they are. And where they are sitting in land, being slaves and carrying water and cleaning stuff up there, they desperately want to get back, but they can't because people won't let them. Everything is pear-shaped. And that happened for about five, six, seven hundred years. Just, just people after people came through and beat these guys over the head. So that the time you get to Jesus, you've got... You've got a situation where just they don't even rule themselves. They're not Israel anymore. They're a province of Rome. But something happened when these people got carted off into these other lands. The prophets came again. And their message changed again. And I want to show you some of the things that they said. This is by a guy named Zephaniah. You can find it in Zephaniah because he was egotistical and named a book after himself. Just kidding. 3.14-17 says, Sing, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Not really the kind of message you're expecting when you're sitting sulking on a riverbank wanting to go home. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty too. Say, it's that word again, Hosanna. Um, he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with sin. They're getting this message that, hold on, maybe, maybe stuff isn't always going to be bad. Because there's this, there's this king coming. And he's going to be kind of different. And he's going to set things right and bring us back. Another guy named Zechariah. Uh, verse 9, uh, chapter 9 and verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Save, Hosanna, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. <coughs> now let me ask you, when these people are lining the streets and Jesus is walking into Jerusalem and they are shouting, Hosanna, save now. Did they mean, go down across, save us from our sins? No. They mean, get into Jerusalem and sort us out now. You see, they saw Jesus as a king. You see, after Jesus has fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6, it says, Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Uh, oftentimes, when, when Jesus is around, he's having to sort of fend off this idea they have of him that is not his idea. It's not, it's not what he said. It's not, it's not what he's looking at. They want him to be a king. They want him, when he's walking into Jerusalem, it, it's time now. It's time. Like, we've been a mess. We've been a complete mess. Everything's broken. Here he comes, because this is the guy that we read about through the prophets, and they told us about this king who's going to come, riding on a donkey, and, and here he comes on a donkey, and he's going to come into Jerusalem, he's going to sort us out. They are thinking right, aren't they? They're thinking like, torch and pitchforks, and get in there, and we, we're gonna, we, we'll be behind you, go. Save now, save now. So you've got to think about their idea of salvation is a bit different. It says that God comes to rescue us from very, very practical things. Very, very like, and, and it's about us as well. It says his goal is to restore the nation. He will do it through a conquering king is the thing that they read about. And it's this idea that it's not save me, it's save us as a whole community, as a people. It's not just about me, it's about all of us. Save now, and it's about right now, today. Not another time, right now, save now. So when they shout save, this is what they mean. We have a different idea, don't we? This is kind of what we think about when we understand salvation. Check me if I'm... Accounts. We would say that when we read the scriptures, that Jesus came and that he died on the cross because we have this problem and it's, and it's called sin. It's that we keep wanting to do things our own way and we keep messing up. And we do things our own way against what God wants us to do. So God sends his only son, Jesus, who comes in to die on a cross and take all of our junk on himself to break it once and for all. And to set us free when he died and then he rises again to show us that things are being made new. Am I right? Because I've read the book. That's what he says, isn't it? And, and let me say before I say anything else, I absolutely believe that. Absolutely. I think that's true. But I think that's too small a picture of what God means when it says that God and Jesus come to save us. When we see those bumper stickers, Jesus said, we make it often that small. And I think it's much bigger. 
When we talk about being saved, we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you know that there is nowhere in Scripture that talks about a personal relationship with Jesus? It's not to say that I don't believe that we should have personal relationships with Jesus. But it says a lot about the things that we make very, very important. We've spoken over and over again. And we always talk about, you know, you need a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to be right with Jesus. But we never, ever talk about our relationship as a whole community with God, do we? And yet that is, the, that is the thrust, and the majority of Scripture talks about that instead. So we often put the emphasis there. We also have this idea of the sinner's prayer. Do you know what that is? It's this, it's this thing we say, if, if, it's when we have altar calls. Do you know what I mean about altar calls? If at the end of the time and someone doesn't know Jesus and we say, we'd like you to respond tonight if you don't know Jesus and they come forward. Now I think that's great. I think that's absolutely great because it gives an opportunity for someone who does not know God to come forward and be prayed for and start on that journey. But do you know that altar calls have only been around for about the last 150 years? And the sinner's prayer is the same. How did people get saved before? You don't know? You do what? But they're obviously fine. Because they were serious about their relationships with God and they carried on. But we seem to put all our eggs into this one basket, this one way of doing stuff. And this one idea that being saved, or Jesus saved, means this one thing. And we often talk about being saved as, it's, it's we're saved today that Jesus forgives our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. It's kind of this sort of foot in the door mentality, isn't it? Like, if, if I pray this prayer today, then I've got my foot in the door. One day I'll be able to get to heaven because the other place sounds hot. So we decide that, okay, I'm going to do this thing so that one day. Do you see the problem with that? Like, it means that we have a bunch of very lazy Christians, isn't it? Because it means that we go, well, you know, I, I prayed that prayer one day. So I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I don't have to worry. Uh, God's taking care of all my whatever and it's cool. And then we sit on our butts and just live the rest of our lives and don't, don't bring God actively into the things that we it makes us lazy, and it means that we often forget about the fact that God is constantly wanting to make us new. Not just save me now, today, but for then. And in the meantime, I'll just get on with stuff, and it'll be whatever, and it doesn't matter. I think Jesus spoke about um, salvation differently. He spoke about it in the sense that it's a global rescue mission. For God so loved them, not, not, not even just like the Jews. No. Not even, not even just people. God so loved people. No. It, it says, God, for God so loved the world. I mean, that's everything, really, isn't it? I mean, you don't get much bigger than the world that we know of that well. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. That was Jesus' mission, that He would begin to make everything, global everything, as new as it could be. And he speaks the whole time about stories, doesn't he? He talks in stories the whole time. And he talks about this place called the Kingdom of Heaven. And we spent some time on this at the end of last year, if you were around. And we spoke about how he would use stories to talk about the Kingdom of Heaven is like a, it's like a seed. He's like, like a tree. He's like, like a farmer who goes out. He's like, like you know, these weeds among, among corn. It's like anything he could see around him that he could show people and say, the Kingdom of Heaven is like this. And he would over and over again say, the kingdom is here now. The kingdom is among you. This reality, this thing that you're being set free for is here right now. It's not something that you do now that one day you'll get, because that's what we think of when we think heaven. It's now, right through your life, into them. It's one continuous 
thing that we should be a part of now. We won't, we won't get it as it's going to be now, sure. Like it's, it's going to be much better and much bigger when we get there. But it's, it's a reality that we have to be living in now. And just in case people thought, well, he's just kind of talking a good game. He showed them what this thing looks like. So, so when he would talk about stories and everything, and people would listen and go, oh, that sounds really sweet. And then there'd be someone there who couldn't walk. He'd say, look, this is what the kingdom's like. And he would lay hands on that person and pray for them. And someone who could not walk from birth, all of a sudden, can walk again. The kingdom of heaven is like being made new, being restored, being made right. He'd hang out with people you and I would probably not hang out with. He'd make sure that he had parties with disreputable people like tax collectors and and prostitutes and, and the like because he wanted to show people with his actions and with his life that the kingdom of heaven is, is after everyone. God is after everyone to bring him in. And then he goes to the cross. And that's kind of like the, the culmination of this whole story he's telling with his whole life that he goes and that he dies and that he takes all of our junk on himself and then he rises again. And as he's going to the cross we read that he says Behold I make all things new. But something starts with Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. It's the start of a movement towards things being made right. Paul calls it that, that in Jesus it's the first fruits of what's to come. So he, Jesus, dying and rising, which, which you know, not many people have done, is, the, is a picture of something that's set in motion from that time. That from here on out, things are going to be different. So the thing about Jesus' teaching on salvation, as opposed to ours, where we say... That salvation is about me, and, and it's you know for them. And, and the Jews would have said, no, 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 salvation is about all of us, and it's about now. I think Jesus would have said that salvation is, is every day. It's, it's not then or now, it's all times, from today right through until the end. It's continually being saved, it's continually being made new and made right. You see, this is the whole thing with spiritual formation. Because you want to be someone, hopefully, who, who, when you live your life with God, you want to be made new the whole time and made to look more like God as you go forward. And you have to have this idea in your mind that it's not that I pray this prayer and I'm done. No. It's that I pray this prayer to commit my life to Christ. And then from every day, from now until the day I die, He's going to start to make me new. He's going to pick out areas in my life and say, this thing, this, this thing in you doesn't look very much like me. It looks more like you. So let's work on that now. Let's work on that for a while. And we start to change it. And, and he starts to work with you and to move it. And just when you feel you're making headway with that thing, if, if, if your relationship with God is like mine, you'll bring the next thing. And he doesn't let you rest. It's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And always there's something to be worked on, something to be made right in you. And you're constantly being made right, made new. See, the problem with our view of salvation often is that we make kind of saying some prayer of forgiveness as the end of salvation. That's kind of like the finish line. We've done it. We, we, we say we're sorry and God saved us now and we're done. No. Forgiveness, where we ask God to forgive us for the things that we've done wrong and, and our nature that keeps making us want to do things wrong, that's where we start. That's where we begin to be being made new. Brad read tonight from Philippians 2, uh, which I didn't ask him to, but he just had it on the cards. And in Philippians 2, in verse 12, Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I always think of Paul as a pretty dramatic oak. Um, I don't think he and I would have got on very well. He's, I'd want to be, you know, Paul, two Jews walked into a bar. I don't think he would have got it. He, 
quite standoff. I, I would have imagined like when he preached very, very kind of dramatic, dramatic kind of guy. So when I read, you know, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I, in my mind I'm going, yeah, it's Paul being dramatic. That's kind of what he does, you know. But the more I kind of mold it over, the more I thought there's, there's a couple of kinds of fear, aren't there? There's the kind of fear where you're scared that something's going to happen to you or to someone that you know and you're in danger or someone you know is in danger, yeah? It's the kind of fear that scary movies play on, which I'm not very good at watching. Um, how many of you saw 1408? Davey, thanks for it. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah? Let me show. Um, a few just went to watch, and some of you will know Joel. Um, <laughs> I'm, quite, I'm quite similar to Joel and I don't handle scary movies very well I'm the guy who's trying to find the perfect piece of popcorn I do that trick where you look, where you look through the screen but you don't actually focus on it so it's all a blur and like, you don't have to work for your mates are looking at you skiing on the popcorn because you're because like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do scary movies very well uh, last year Halloween I decided I was going to get a scary movie I got The Descent I watched the first half an hour and then I switched the sound off and watched the, the last hour with no sound. <laughs> About four o'clock in the afternoon was so streaming into my lounge and I was still terrified. <laughs> so when Joel and I went to the 1408, we're sitting there, Joel has a nasty habit of, of when he gets a scary part, he grabs him and shrieks like a girl. So, so like not only do you get, which doesn't help really. It, it, it makes it quite difficult. But I brought my iPod with <laughs> and I was in a John Mayer face so Joel and I cracked up my iPod I had one earphone, he had the other we were watching 14 to 8 to John Mayer soundtrack <laughs> and it made, it made it a lot less scary but like, that's the one kind of fear isn't it it's the kind of fear where you're like fear because something's going to happen to you something's going to be scary how many of you have written exams recently or have them coming up? <laughs> okay I'm missing out a demographic how many of you are married? Yeah? Okay, good, thank you. Right. That covers pretty much everyone. Okay, so, so when, you, when you're writing exams, how many of you are nervous? A little bit of fear. Okay, cool. When you, when you got married, on your wedding day, was there a little bit of nerves? Amen. Amen. Am I? Okay, good. Now, oh, were you scared when you wrote your exam because you thought, I'm going to get a paper cut and bleed to death? <laughs> No. There's, there's, no, there's no threat to you, there's no fear for you as a person. Like when, when you got married, were you scared because that night you thought your wife might axe murder you in your bed? There's no, there's no threat to you. I hope if there is, we need to talk. It's time to break the silence. Um, it's not like that, is it? Why are you scared of those things? I think it's because you consider those things very important. And you really, really, really want those things to go well. So when you're at your wedding day, I would imagine, you, you'll be there and you'll be nervous, not because you're scared of anything happening to you. It's a fear that says, this is so important to me that I really, really want it to go well. And when you're writing your next exam, you're not scared because something's going to happen to you. You're scared because this exam is really, really important to me and I really want to do well. You know, because when the exam's not important to you, you're not that scared. Right? You know, don't you? It's a different kind of fear. It's this kind of fear that says, I want to live this kind of life out where I'm continually being made new in such a way, of course, fear and respect for God, but I think it's more than that. In such a way that it's so important to me that 
I be made new every day, but there's this little bit of fear in me that keeps driving me, that keeps pushing me to want to become as much like Jesus as I can be between now and the day that I die. Salvation is about everything as well. It's about every day, but it's also about everything. It's, there's, there's no such thing as, as, as salvation. It's just about little me. Jesus did not come only for you. I mean, I think he would have if, if you'd asked him because he loves you that much. But he didn't. He came for absolutely everything. That's how big his mission was. That there was nothing left out. That everything needed to be brought back in line. It's quite a hopeful message, isn't it? I, I sat with someone uh, the other week and um, going through an issue and I said, well, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen now? You know, where do you think this thing's going to go? And she said, you know, I just look at this thing and I just, it, it just doesn't seem like there's any hope. You know? And I thought to myself, how, how can there be no hope? You know? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Do you believe that what he did is, is enough to fix and solve and save everything? That there is nothing beyond his power that he doesn't want to touch and mend and fix? Because pessimism and cynicism have become really popular, haven't they? I mean, I mean and I include myself, because... I slip into this, those of you who know me. That it's really trendy to kind of be, ah, you know, uh, it's, all going, it's all going downhill anyway. And especially with church, isn't it? Because church is a soft target. It's, it's easy to talk about church like that. So we get very cynical. But this message that we say we believe in is not about that. In fact, it's on the other end of the scale. This message that we say we believe in is full of hope. It says that nothing is beyond God's touch. Nothing is beyond what Jesus did. And that he did enough to fix everything. So you have to start asking yourself, what is it with you? What do you need to be standing on the side of the road with and saying, Hosanna? Saying, Jesus, you know, save now. Make it right now. Fix it now. <coughs> Have you, are you sick? Have you been sick for a while? Uh, is there something that you're struggling with? Okay. Pray. Get down on your knees and say to Jesus, you know what, Jesus, Hosanna, save now. Save now, because you died for that as well. Everything you want to make right, this mission is as big as the world. Save now. I don't know why he doesn't always answer those. I don't know why. I don't understand. But it doesn't take away our responsibility from asking. That if something isn't right and we know it, that we get down on our knees and we ask. Where's your relationship with God? Is it, is it where it should be? Or if you kind of just kind of let it slide for a while and you say, no, no, I, I need to sort this out. I just don't know where to start. Okay, good place to start. Get down on your knees. Jesus, save now. Save that now. Save now. Fix that now. Where's your family now? Where are the relationships in your family? How are they going? What's going on with them? Are things not right? Okay. Jesus, save now. Hosanna, save now. Where are the relationships with your friends? Are they not right and just don't seem to be coming right and you're not sure what to do about it? Okay, get down on your knees. Jesus, save now because you dying is big enough to fix that. There's nothing that you can't take care of. And it goes bigger than that, doesn't it? And this is where I want us to start thinking about this next value. That we want to be people who go out and restore the world. This is where cynicism kicks in as well. Because a lot of us have experienced that the world is a really tough place to live. South Africa particularly is quite a tough place to live sometimes. 
And we just want to be cynical about it. We just want to go, well, you know what? It's, it's time. And you know, I'll make a plan, let me go to see it. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe stay. Maybe get down on your knees and, and, and save. Save now. Jesus, save now. I get that Constantia Bird bulletin every week in my post box. Have you get the same thing? It's one of those things that just cluttered up my I hate those you know, macro thingies and everything else. But the one day I took it out and I decided to have a look at it, and it had a whole double-page spread in the middle of the Constantia Bird bulletin just telling you which cars that got stolen the last week. Just a list of license plates of people who have lost their cars, which is what I want to read with my morning coffee. <laughs> you know? don't, and also, don't go to this shopping centre because they're mucky. And don't go here because it's dodgy. And watch out... Maybe you should have a curfew about 9 o'clock, get in your house, lock your doors. And there's people driving around with yellow flashy thingies because things are bad. We, we know things are bad. But it's so easy to just slip from that into, well, you know what? It's just that tough. Instead of going, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm doing something about that on two levels. One, I'm getting down on my knees and I'm saying, and I'm praying and I'm asking and I'm begging Jesus, save now. And two, I'm going to get off my butt and do whatever I can to fix that situation. And I, I don't know what that thing is, but there are things we can do. This is a message for South Africa right now. Right? Absolutely. It's, uh, the president situation. Absolutely. And I mean, we've, we, I mean, have you seen the Zapiro thing that's come out? And people have been up in arms about that. That's, it's, you know, a guy's writing a, a cartoon because he's feeling something about a particular situation in our country. It's very easy, and you've seen the debate it's sparked off. It's very easy to just join someone's side and go, well, you know what, that oak is a moron. And, and I'm cynical about the way this country's going. Really? Because if that's our response, we're not helping. We're actually just joining in the gossip. Or are we getting down on our knees and are we saying, Jesus, save now? It's, it's, it's bigger as well, isn't it? Because it's also about creation. And, and we're going to hit this. I mean, the morning service at the moment are going through a series on creation. And we want to get to it at some stage as well before the end of the year. Because I think it's so important what we're talking about. That we need to be people to get out and restore the world. And it's part of it. You know, I mean, I, so many Christians get cynical about the environment. They go, well, that's not our issue. You know, that's not our problem. Because... Because by the end of time, anyway, God's going to break it all. And, you know, so why bother fixing it now? You know why? Because it says it in the Bible. Because it says it, He made it for us, and He put us in charge of it, and we're supposed to be good stewards of it. We, we, um, we showed that inconvenient truth a while back, and I remember, I remember so many people sort of saying, oh, that's not what Christianity is about. It is. It is. I mean, you know, we've recycled. It's not Christian. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And we're going to get into some of the specifics because I think it's important to start thinking about how can we be people who move in this world in a way that actually honors God instead of breaks it down. In every way that we do stuff. It's not just, well, you know, less important. Maybe, maybe you think so. I don't know if God thinks so. I think we need to treat His creation the way that He wants it to. And it's also about the people that we don't see often. The oppressed that we see in our, in our, in our world. I mean, you've got things going on around the world. Even, even in Uganda, where all this heading to soon. I mean, in northern Uganda, there's a civil war going on at the moment with uh, one of the commanders who's, who's ducked over the border into, into southern Sudan and comes back with parties, raiding parties, every now and again. He walks into villages with his little army. He grabs kids in the night, six, seven, eight-year-olds, and he takes them off and he trains them up to be soldiers and then brings them back to those villages to slaughter, kill, and rape people. And you think, how can that be possible? And he does it in the name of God. He says, that, you know what, this is, this is what God has sent me to do. And he's, he just tortures people in, in the most horrible way, cutting off parts of their bodies and telling them, I mean, he's got ridiculous rules as well. If you ride a bicycle, that's illegal, so we'll cut you later. 
I mean, we just look at that and we go, how on earth are there places in our world that allow that kind of thing? What are we going to do about that? Are we just going to go, well, that's just ridiculous. It's just Africa, because Africa's a mess. Africa's a mess. Or are we going to get down on our knees and say, Jesus, save now. Save now. Keep asking. Keep on asking. And closer than that, just around the corner from us. I mean, those of you who go to Weinberg on a Monday night, and I encourage you, please, like those of you who haven't been on a Monday night, we meet at my place just on the corner here, 55 XD, and we cook soup uh, from 5, and then we drive down at 7, and we just go and hand out soup and pray with guys. And we're there, we're there every week on a Monday night. And I think the guys who go will agree with me that, that you suddenly see this country in a different light. It's very, very easy to be middle class and removed from everything. And say about people who live on the streets, well, you know what, they're just kind of lazy. You know, if they wanted a job, they could get a job. I'm telling you now, they can't. Because we're watching them desperately try. And they can't. And they don't know what to do next. And they wait every week so that we'll come and, and other people will come and we'll just sit with them and treat them like human beings and just hand out some soup. And that's, that's a good thing. I mean, that's, that's a good part of their week is just getting a very small meal and having someone just sit and chat and hear what's going on in their week. How far have things slipped and gone? Are we going to get pessimistic about that? Are we going to get down on knees and going to say, Jesus, Hosanna, save now. Fix this now, please. And not just pray, but then get up. And do something about it if we can. Let's close our eyes. It's going to finish. It's going to get bread. I'm just going to give you a minute, just quietly. And I, I want you to think about firstly, because I'm sure there are people here who are going, you know what, I, I've got things in my life at the moment, and it's okay to start there. You know, I've got things in my life that just are not right. You know, that are twisting me up inside and just aren't right at the moment. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's time to, uh, to ask God. Maybe you haven't been. Maybe it's time to get down on your knees and say, God, you know what, save now. Because, because I'm not fixing this thing very well. And I, be- I believe that what you did on the cross not only brings me into good relationship with you and sets me up for the kingdom to come, but it also is able and has the power to fix anything I'm going through in any struggle. I'm just going to give you a minute, just in the quiet of your hearts, just to mull over some of those things. Just allow God's Spirit to speak to you. Allow Him to start the surface step in you. And just pray quietly. Jesus, save now. As He surfaces it, just say it in the quiet of your heart. Jesus, save now. That thing, save now. We're going to get people to pray for you just now. Just for now. Just sit there with God and you ask Him, save now.
about something tonight. And say, yeah, I, re- I really need that thing sorted. I need that thing right. You're just not sure what to do. But maybe you pray that prayer now. I'm going I'm to ask you to do something that might be a little embarrassing, but whatever, because I think there's important stuff to get done. If that's you tonight, I just want you to stand up wherever you are. In a, in a minute, I'm going to tell you to. And then I just want you to look around if you're still sitting. And if there's someone standing, I just want you to get around them and start to pray for them. If they want to tell you what that thing is, that's fine. If they don't, that's great. Just start praying for them and asking Jesus. Say it now. So if that's you tonight, if you've been thinking that I need I need this thing sorted, I need this thing to come right, Jesus, say it now. Don't you just want to stand up just where you are? Just stand up where you are. Take a look around, and if there's someone near you, just stand up and get around them, and let's just pray for a while for people. So just wherever you are, just grab someone who's standing. Ask them if they want to tell you. If they don't, that's fine. And just pray for them for a while. And get around the people. Brad's just going to sing quietly while we pray, and then I'll draw it to a close at some stage. We just get praying. Jesus.
Thank you. 